The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. We're going to pick back up in our verse-by-verse journey this wonderful epistle. We are in chapter 2, and I'm only going to make it through two verses today. There's a lot in there. Does everybody have a note sheet? Because you're going to need one this morning, trust me. If you don't have one, lift your hand and usher if we can get those two with some people. My wife never has one. She says nothing I, I say is worth writing down, so. Win of 69 to 62. 
So the hope of the cats that they would continue how they started got quickly shot down, though, when they lost their very next game to Evansville. Remember? I'm sorry to bring that up. But we are still hoping for the best. Good game last night, right? Well, here's what we know about Kentucky fans. It is not enough. How many Kentucky fans do we have in here? Come on, somebody. It is not enough for our cats to just start out well. Oh, we want them to, to start out well, do we not? And we want them to keep playing well. And as a matter of fact, what do we ultimately want? National championship. National championship. And I frankly don't think that's too much to ask, all right? You know, when it comes to our Christian journey, it is not enough just to start well. True Christians must persevere. We must continue with Christ, not just start with Christ. This is important. So many people today have this idea that, well, I can just pray a prayer at an altar. Now I can just tell Jesus something, pray this maybe magical prayer, and then go on about my life, live how I want, not submit to the Lordship of life, but I've kind of got my ticket to heaven, so I'm okay. Friends, that is not the case. To be a Christian, hear me well, is to start with Christ, it is to live for Christ, and it is to finish with Christ. Friends, that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the book of Colossians, Paul is concerned with these new believers. Because they have started their lives with Christ, it seems, yet false teachers are coming on the scene. False doctrines that are trying to, that there's this temptation to move them away from the risen Christ. So the church is threatened by these false teachers. If we go back to chapter 1, Paul says to the Colossians, he says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How many want to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach to God on the last day? But then Jesus, or Paul gives this condition here. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the whole of the gospel that you heard. It is not enough, in other words, to have a good Sunday, a good opening game. Friends, you've got to have a good season. Oh, you've got to have a good life. And when I say good life, I mean you've got to abide in Jesus, not shifting from the gospel. Okay? You are not saved by your works, and you are not kept by your works. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. You're kept by grace through faith in Christ. So your job is simply to abide in Jesus. Point is, you can't start off just by praying some prayer at the altar. Say, oh, I'm in Jesus. And then fall away at some point in your life and think you're okay. No, you start with Him and you've got to end with Him. So then this begs the question, that's pretty scary, is it not? How in the world 
the, being the frail people that we are, how is it that we continue in the faith? I think we see at least part of the answer in our text today. The Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins this section by giving these believers in Colossae a command. And this would apply to all believers. He says, as we have received Christ, that we are to walk in Him. Alright, so this is a command. Now in the Greek, we're going to go a little deep this morning. Are you able to think on this cold Sunday morning? I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek today. In the Greek, this command is in the present tense, and it is in the active voice. And this really matters. This means that it is an ongoing, present tense, it's ongoing, it's an ongoing responsibility that is put on us, it's active, that means it's our responsibility, so it's an ongoing command for us. So if you're a believer, it is your job to continue to go on walking in Christ. Just as you've received Him, you and I, we are to go on walking in Him. But before I unpack this command, I want to first move on to the four conditions that Paul then gives that will empower us to actually walk in Christ and carry out this command. The reason being is that this command to continue to walk in Jesus seems, and it is, a lot of pressure. And it can seem very uncertain. But you'll see that through these following conditions that God gives us everything we need. He equips us to carry out and succeed in this command. Are you with me? So here are four conditions that empower us to walk in Christ. Look at verse 6 again. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. And, and then in verse, the first part of verse 7, we have two of these conditions. He says, rooted and built up in Him. Him being Christ. So number one, the first condition that will empower us to walk in Christ is that we are rooted in Christ. So if you want to continue to walk in Jesus, you must be rooted in Him, which means you're a real Christian. If you're not rooted in Christ, you are a nominal Christian at best. So this is the only of the four conditions listed here that is in what is called the perfect tense in the Greek. Alright? The rest of the conditions are in the present tense, meaning that they're ongoing. The perfect tense means it's already done, completed. In other words, here's what this means. If you are in Christ... You're as rooted in Christ as you can ever be. You're as attached to Christ as you will ever be. It's something that's already done. When you repent of your sin and you turn to the risen Jesus and you are regenerated by faith, by the Holy Spirit, you at that moment are rooted in Christ and those roots, friends, go deep. Amen. This means that you have all that you need in Christ. All that you need in Christ to grow and to mature in Jesus. All of His benefits are yours. And the other great news here is that this rooting is a work of God. It's not your work. Going back to the Greek again, the word rooted, rooted is in the passive voice this time, not the active 
Meaning, it, we're not the ones who root ourselves. We're passive in this. It is God who roots us in Jesus. Amen? You aren't rooted in Christ because of your performance. Good. You are rooted in Christ because of the grace of God in the story. Amen. And this language pushes us back to what Paul has already said in chapter 1, verse 13. It says that He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Hallelujah! Amen. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there it is. Who did this? God did this. He has delivered us from darkness, the domain of darkness, the dark forces. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. In other words, another way of saying He has rooted us in Christ. So when you hear this command that you must continue in your faith, you ought to be glad that you are rooted in Christ. Because again, those roots run deep. Out uh, in, on my in-law's farm is this massive pine tree with substantial roots that has been there for years and uh, underneath the, the, the tree it's we buried some of our beloved pets uh, different people in the family brought their pets out and, um, and buried them underneath that tree and I'm convinced that for years every time we go out there that's a safe place that, that tree is going to still be standing because of the roots and I'm convinced with those who are truly in Christ that years down the road that I'm going to see you still standing because you're rooted in Christ. You know, I think about Sid, and there is no doubt where this dear saint is today. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I was talking to her family, and I said, when is it that Sid actually came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And they said, we can't ever remember a time when she was not a Christian. And for all of these years, she has been faithful. Why? Because she's rooted in Christ. So if you are really born of God, truly in Christ, you have substantial roots. Storms will come your way. Satan will try to knock you out with trials and tribulations to make shipwreck of your faith. But you are rooted not in your own strength, but in Christ. The next condition that empowers us to continue to walk in Christ is the condition of being built up in Christ, built up in Jesus. So Paul changes metaphors here from a tree to a building or a temple. Now this word, is a, this phrase is in the present tense, again, meaning it's an ongoing process. So the rooting is a perfect tense. It's already done, but this being built up this is, a, this is a present tense. It's ongoing. We are to be continually built up in Christ. It's an ongoing process, and it is likened to the process, big church word here, of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of, of Christians becoming more daily, more and more like Jesus. Right? True Christians are daily being conformed into the image of Christ. Let me ask you something here at the beginning of 2020. 
Would, would your friends and your family members say that you look a little more like Christ, act a little more like Christ than you did in January of 2019? I hope the answer would be yes. So again, this phrase built up, it's in the <coughs> passive voice, meaning this even is a work of God. It is God who sanctifies us by His Spirit. It's clear in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, Paul writes, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That good news, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is what sanctification looks like. And he writes this, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it should be evident of those who are real followers of Jesus, those who are rooted in Christ, because day by day, those who are truly real followers of Jesus ought to then, by the Spirit of God, be maturing in Christ, being more and more conformed into His image. The fruit of His Spirit ought to be more and more evident every single day. Now, this doesn't mean that we just let go and we have no part in our sanctification at all. But it is first and foremost a work of the Spirit. And I'll talk about more about that, our part, in just a little bit. The next condition that Paul gives that empowers us to walk in Christ is the condition of being established in the faith. Verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. <laughs> MacArthur explains here that the sense of faith is very objective here. It refers to the truth of Christian doctrine. Listen, what we believe really does matter. There are false teachings that are coming against the Colossians. And if they are to continue in Christ, they must be established in the faith. The essential doctrines of the faith. And again, this being established in faith is in the passive voice. This is a work of the Lord. We are established in the faith by the Word of God, which is His gift to us, one of His many gifts to us. We are established in the truth of His Word. When you are rooted in Christ, watch this, and you are being built up in Christ, being sanctified in Christ, you will naturally be established in your faith. And when these three conditions are true, when God roots us in Jesus, builds us up in Jesus, establishes, establishes us in the doctrines of the church, how then can we do anything else but overflow with thanksgiving? This fourth condition is the condition of abounding in thanksgiving. And this is the only condition listed here that is in the active voice, which means this one's on us. It's our response to the other three. You want to be strengthened in your faith? Just realize all that God has done for you in Jesus. And you cannot help but overflow in praise. The psalmist said, forget not His benefits towards us. Yeah. Hebrews 13, 15 through Him, then let us continually 
offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. We ought to be people with the most grateful hearts on the planet. And I'm telling you, you want to be strong in Christ, you want to walk in Christ, learn to have joy in Christ. I think one of the, 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 the greatest weapons against sin is happiness in God. <laughs> happiness in God. I grew up on what's called white knuckle preaching. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A preacher point at you, pointing at you and saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's willpower, right? Don't look at this. Don't watch this. Don't listen to this. Don't eat this. But willpower only goes so far. I would have great intentions to, to stop a particular besetting sin. And I might be okay for a day or maybe even a week or if it's a really good year, maybe a month. But I'm going to eventually stumble again unless... Unless I'm satisfied in Jesus. And I got a hold of a book called Desiring God years ago by John Piper. And it, it, he showed me, pulled some scriptures out in there. And it, it's changed the way that I look at the battle against sin. And it's simply this. If we will do what, what Paul is saying here. If we will abound with thanksgiving and learn to be happy in God. Not miserable people who are always complaining and grumbling. But, but if we will learn to be happy in God, and how could we not be if all that I just read about us being rooted in Christ, being established in Christ, being built up in Christ, if that is all true, how in the world can we not be the happiest people on the planet? We shouldn't be a dry, dead people looking saved and mad about it. No, we ought to have smiles on our faces. Joy in our heart. Dance in our step. Yes. Clapping our hands and singing and shouting praises to our God. And this will strengthen you in your faith. So now, that being said, let's go back to this non-optional command to continue to walk in Christ. This is a necessary command. It's not a suggestion, by the way. Verse 6. As you receive Christ... Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How are you doing with that? To continue to walk in Christ means, in part, that you obey Him. That you treasure Him. That you live by His law to love God with all your heart, your soul, and all of your mind. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now to be sure, none of us do these things perfectly. But this is our heartbeat. This is the bent of our heart. Because we, if we're truly in Christ, rooted in Him, then God changes our heart to where we want to follow His law. We want to obey the Lord. We want to serve Him. So the walk in Christ means that we keep our eyes on Him. We live every moment as if He truly were Lord of our life. Because if you're a Christian, that is in fact true. But the command, I hope, isn't so overwhelming to you considering all that I just told you. If you are a true believer, you're rooted in Jesus. 
You're built up in Him, being built up in Him by His Spirit. You're being established in Him. And this is overflowing, I hope, in the joy of thanksgiving. In other words, He's giving you everything you need to walk out this command. Now, does this mean then, church, that we can just put our feet up and say, Lord, you do all the work. You know, we'll just sit here. Is the Christian life totally passive? Absolutely not. I think Paul gives a good balance in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, when he writes the church at Philippi saying, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Watch what he says here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Let me summarize that. God is at work in you and you are simply to work out what He is working in. He's equipped you. He's changed your heart. He's given you His Spirit. Everything you need, you're rooted in Christ. He's at work in you every day and He's simply saying, hey, you work out what I am working in. He's not asking you to do something that you are not equipped to do. How do we do this? Well, at least in part, we walk this out by taking advantage of the means of grace, we'll call them, that God has given us. We practice spiritual disciplines that are meant to strengthen our, our faith and our walk with the Lord. And there are many places I can turn to in Scripture to, to show this and, and instruct us on how to carry this out. But one of the best texts that shows what we should be doing daily to strengthen our faith and to walk in Christ is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And you will see that these disciplines that I'm about to list are all gifts from the Lord. These are all gifts from the Lord and we need to take advantage of them in our life. So here's the context. Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter preached a dynamite message under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41 it says, So those who received His Word were baptized. By the way, if you've received His Word, believed upon Christ, and you have not been baptized, I would ask you, why in the world? Be ye baptized. The King James Bible might say. So, uh, there, there's some of you perhaps in here that you need to take that first step of faith in Christ. And, and obedience, and, and so following belief and repentance. So I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, we'll fill the tank next week for you. You just see me after service. And then it says, there were after that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. Imagine the day giving an altar call and 3,000 people give their hearts to the Lord. 3,000 people believed and were baptized and then, what do they do from there? That's the question. How do they walk in Christ? Well, Acts 2.42 tells us. And they devoted themselves. Here's what they were devoted to. To the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship. To the breaking of bread. And the prayers. 
They devoted themselves. There's this commitment to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. So, how do we walk in Christ? As we're rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in Him, overflowing in thanksgiving, how do we walk this Christian life out? We devote ourselves, number one, to regularly hearing and obeying His Word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, I think you ought to read your Bible every day of your life. We're asking, as many of you who, who would feel compelled to do so, that you would join us in going through the Bible in a year. We'd like to do this together as a church. And you can find that, that, that um, form online. It'll tell you week by week what to, what to read. Just go to mygrowchurch.org. It's right there on the homepage right at the top. So you ought to read the Bible every day. But that does not replace the need for you to hear the preached Word of the Lord. It's not a replacement. Both are important. So you ought to regularly hear and obey His Word. Okay, number two. We walk in Christ as we commit to Christian fellowship. We've talked about this. This is Christian koinia, is the Greek word there. What this means is this. You don't come in late and leave early and just sit on a pew and go about your individualistic life. No. When you come to Christ, like it or not, you are part of a community. And life is meant to be lived together. And I'm so grateful for this church because I sense this growing amongst us. As a matter of fact, we, Nikki and I were at um, Sid's daughter uh, Lisa's house um, the day after Sid passed away. And we're there and we're talking about this wonderful woman of God. And we're, we're, we're remembering stories, the way she's touched our lives. And as we were there, we were getting texts from so many of you saying, what can we do to help? Do they need food? Do they need just prayer? Do they want company? How can we help? That is such a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be. And so, you want to walk in Christ? You can't do it apart from the church. Hear me. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm just not about church. I've said this before and I mean it. That's like telling somebody, I like your face, but not your body. Alright? Because Jesus is the head and we are the body. Alright? And here's the problem. Yes, you can pray at home. You can call on the Lord at home. You can serve outside of the church. You should be doing that. You should be serving for kingdom purposes. But you are one member of a body. So you're like a, maybe a toe walking around. And apart from the body, you're not much good. But when you come together with the body of Christ in this kind of a context, and we lock arms together, I'm telling you, nothing is impossible. With Christ as the cornerstone and we as the stones of this temple, I'm telling you there's nothing that we cannot do empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we walk in Christ as we commit to Christian fellowship. Number three, we walk in Christ as we regularly partake of the Lord's Supper. He says here, the breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. I want everybody to hear me says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, this is talking about the Lord's Supper, is not a participation, is it not a participation 
in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Does anybody want to guess what the word participation is in Greek? Does anybody know? I just mentioned it in the last point, if that helps. Nobody listened to the last point. Okay. It is, uh, I see how you are. It is the word koinonia. This is good. This is good. The Lord within the body of Christ, He wants us with one another to experience this very intimate fellowship where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. To participate in fellowship with one another. Experience, uh, not just during corporate worship, but to, to do life together. He wants us to experience those kinds of relationships. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, He says that is what we experience with the risen Christ. A real presence. Now, something has happened in my life. We're going through one of the toughest seasons we've ever been through. Not just in ministry, but in life. And I have during this time, nobody coached me for this, okay? Just in my heart, I have longed for a few things. Number one, I've longed for the Word of God. Particularly the Psalms. I've been reading them every day. Number two, I've longed for fellowship. The things that I'm, I'm reading right here. I've longed to be with you. Some of the most comforting times that have been in our prayer meetings that we've had. And thank you for those of you who have made those a priority. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you know what I really long for that I, I, I couldn't understand why? I longed for communion. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. I long for the Eucharist. And so, and here's, I, I prayed about this and I talked to some, some other pastors. And here it is. In, in the church, particularly in the Pentecostal church, we're always singing songs, I'm hungry for you, I'm hungry for you. And we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. But he says we shall be filled. And one of the ways that we're filled is not through subjective emotionalism. It is through this table right here. Because there is a really, when, when your heart is right, and you're taking communion in a manner that is worthy of the Lord's table. In other words, you're not living it in sin and you're in, and then coming and taking this. That's a huge danger. Don't do that. But if you, with a clear conscience, can come and take in faith the Lord's Supper. I don't, there's mystery here. I don't understand it. But there is participation, according to Paul, with the Lord. A real, a real objective participation with the risen Christ. And it has so fed my soul. We did this last week and, and we're going to, by the way, continue to do this on Sunday. It's been a big conviction of my heart. Historically, this is what the church has done. In the Baptist church I grew up in, it was once a month. In the Assembly of God church that I've been a part of, it's been once a month. I don't know why we ever went to that. I'm not speaking in that's their business, but I believe I believe that I, this is my own conviction and I, I, I'll prove this maybe biblically uh, another time. I don't have time right now. But I believe this should be a focal point every single service. Every single service. Particularly on the Lord's Day. So, 
This strengthens our faith. I've been strengthened by this. Finally, Zach, if you would come to the piano. We walk in Christ as we commit to private and corporate prayer. Verse 42 in Acts, they committed themselves, devoted themselves to the prayers. Not just prayer, but the prayers. And I want to just beg you, plead with you, implore you, if you have not been to our prayer meetings, please, please, please make it a priority. We have four this week. Uh, Monday morning at 6 a.m., Monday evening at 6 p.m., one hour, and Friday at the same times. Come before work, come after work. Make it a priority. And, and I know some of you, because you've been trained to think like an American who's very individualistic and disconnected from the greater community around you. Well, I can just pray at home. And you can and you should pray at home. But that does not negate the need for corporate prayer. There's something powerful. It's biblical. Both are biblical, private and corporate prayer. I believe in the secret place of going into that war room praying when nobody else knows you're praying. But there's something powerful when we come together with right motives not to be seen. But we come together and we go to the throne of grace together. We've seen miracles over the last several weeks. This is what's going to move our church forward. If you're a leader in this church, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I was going to say demanding, but I'm not going to go there yet. <laughs> Please come. Uh, You'll see a job post, uh, you know, job open tomorrow if you don't show up. No. Uh, please, please, please. It's more important to me that you come to this than you do any event. I'd rather the worship team come to this than rehearsal. I mean it. That's how important right now, especially the way the enemy is attacking our church. The Lord has told me this is our line of defense. So you want to see our church move through this? Please come and pray. Just one of those times a week. Even. Some of you are coming to all four of them, and thank you. If you'll come to one of them at least, that would delight my heart. In closing, let me just say this. Last week, I uh, had the great privilege of picking my father up from Cardinal Hill and driving him home. He's doing so well. I want to say thank you for your prayers. Now, don't read in too much to this analogy. I'm, I'm trying to make one point and one point only. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but I know ultimately it's the Lord that saved his life. It was an answer to prayer. But we could say that the Lord used at least the hospital, right? The staff, the, the doctors, the surgeons, the nurses, the therapists to save my dad's life. They did an incredible, superb job in taking care of my father. If it were not for them, outside of just a touch from the Lord and an immediate healing, my dad would not be here today. But, my dad had a little part in that too. There was a time, about three weeks in, four weeks in, of this eight-week journey that my dad just didn't have the will to fight. And he wasn't doing the exercises and uh, that, that the nurses were telling him to do. He wasn't obeying their commands and... So he just laid there. Actually, he started to regress. I said, Dad, if you want to live, you want to come out of here, you come this far. I said, you've got to do everything they ask you to do. 
so something changed in him and he started obeying their commands taking the medicines he was supposed to take doing the exercise they asked him to do the things that were painful to him because he was weak and day by day in those moments we saw him get a little bit stronger a little bit stronger and you fast forward and he made it home we are as Christians we're rooted in Christ we're saved because of God <laughs> he's done the saving work we're sanctified because of God. Made more like Jesus because of God and His grace and His Spirit. But we, like my Father, we've got to be willing to take the medicine that God has prescribed us. We've got to love God and love our neighbor. We've got to regularly hear and obey His Word. We've got to commit to Christian fellowship. We've got to regularly partake of the Lord's Supper. We've got to commit to private and corporate prayer. And in the end, it's not an NCAA championship that we will gain. But it's something much better. An eternal inheritance. Eternity with Christ. And in the new creation. How many are looking forward to that? Paul says it like this. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. At the end of his life, he's saying this. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And I think of Sid when I, when I read this. Henceforth. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. And I just want to say, I hope to see each and every one of you at the finish. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.